Now the Bible says in Philippians chapter number 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Uh, some of the things that we said in Sunday school are judgment calls. Those are things that you got to work out with God between you and Him. Right. And uh, I just know this, the Bible talks about stumbling blocks. And there's things that will cause brethren to stumble if we participate in them. Right. I don't want to be a stumbling block, I want to be a stepping stone. Yeah. I don't want to allow some activity or deed in the flesh to cause somebody to fall and stumble. And so there's things that God told me not to do specifically. There's a track I wish I had uh, on me today. It's in another notebook I have. It's called Others May, But You Cannot. There's things that God will specifically tell certain people they cannot do and give total access for somebody else to participate in that. And they can't do it. But I'll tell you what, there's things that I believe that are sin that I can't participate in and I'm not going to compromise on. And then there's other things called preferences. And uh, people have preferences. I'm not going to fight about a preference. Amen? Versus a conviction. Some people call it a conviction versus a preference. Dr. David Gibbs, the Christian Law Association, preached a message I heard one time on the difference between preferences and convictions. And it helped me. I realized that some of the things I thought were convictions were actually just a preference. And uh, I got settled straight on that. But I'll tell you this, you better get you some convictions, especially as an early Christian. I heard Tim Green say this down at Willard Thomas's camp meeting. He's preaching, he said, if you don't get your convictions in early in your Christian life by the time you're a Christian for two years, he said, you probably never will get convictions. He said, most convictions are established in a Christian's life when they're early and not late. And uh, I believe there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, there's people I've seen that's been saved for years who's got no conscience about certain things, and they, they'll go to the grave like that. It just, it's just going to be that way. And then there's others that they get a lot of convictions. And I'd rather have convictions and find out that I was just a little overzealous for the Lord than not to have any convictions and have no zeal for the Lord. And so the Lord can help whittle some of them things back. Uh, Dr. Sandlin said this, he said, somebody came up to him and said, I thought you preached against that 20 years ago. He said, I did. He said, why are you doing it today? He said, God gave me more light and showed me that it wasn't what I thought it was. You understand what I'm saying? So we are subject to change, but it, the thing is, uh, what I was preaching this morning in Sunday school is that everything has an end, and the end for everything and everybody is the face of the Lord. And we all got to give an account to the Lord. And uh, by Him, our actions are weighed. Our thoughts are weighed. And how we behave are weighed. And uh, if you don't believe that what you do, somebody watches and copies, they do it. I, I watched a guy at my place where I worked come walking around the corner one day. And I seen him, and I, I just, just noticed him walking. And about a week or so later, his nephew came and walked around the same corner just exactly like him, the same strut, the same step. His nephew was pattering his life after him because he didn't have a dad and he's around his, his uncle. And his uncle, that nephew was pattering his gape, his walk, 
his hairdo, everything. He was trying to be just like his uncle. And I'm telling you, they, they picked that up to where they can mimic you to a T. It's unbelievable. So everything we do, our actions, our bad habits, everything, they pick up and do. It's amazing how, we're, how we record people's actions. And if we like something or like somebody, we begin to mimic them and copy them. That's emulation. Emulation is a work of the flesh. That's copycatism. Right? Uh, John Maxwell's got a book out there called uh, Leadership, How to Develop the Leader Within You. And in that book, it's got a poem called The Little Chap That Follows Me. Oh, my soul. You talk about conviction about how the little chap, the little boy, the lad, my son follows me and therefore my actions, my deeds and everything and the worst thing that I have as a parent, the worst conviction I have is when my kids pick up all the bad habits I got. I go, you gotta be kidding me. One day I was trying to fix, we got a curtain on a door, we got a glass door and uh, we got a curtain on that thing, and it come unhit. The, the plastic part broke on the, on the hanger part. So I was trying to fix it, and I put a screw gun down, and I said, that's stinking thing. And I put my screw gun down, I had to go do something. And I come back, and there's Priscilla. She, she's two years old, and she picks up that screw gun. She puts it down, she goes, that's stinking thing. <laughs> and she, she came right over and copied and mimicked everything I just did. And you talk about a knife going through your heart. I said, oh my God. That right then I realized every action, everything I do, they're going to pick up. And I said, I better make sure I walk right, I spit white. <laughs> Amen. Why? Because that's how they're going to do it. How I treat her, that's how he's going to treat his wife. Oh, I pity my daughter-in-law. <laughs> right? How she treats me, how she's going to treat her man. Amen. Listen, I'm telling you, that stuff's picked up. Jack Howes got some good stuff on that about how a daughter ought to take care of her uh, husband. And he says, she learns all that from mama. How mama takes care of her husband is the way the daughters, she's training her daughter to do. And how I treat my wife, how I'm training my son to treat his wife. It's not sitting there lecture. Now, son, you need to open the door for you. You need to do No, it's something he watches. He watches how I, the manners that I display with mama, how I treat mama. He'll sit back and he'll want to put them towards his wife. You understand? Right. Amen, amen, amen. Listen, we learn by actions. And uh, preachers need to get a hold of that thing. How they react, how they respond, how their congregation reacts. There's a lot to it. Amen, unless they got some great uh, cultural training at home from the parents and they put good character in them and the parents can override the character of the pulpit. Amen? But the bad part is, is usually kids go through public school and they find the knuckleheads and the fools and the idiots and the jerks and the bums and they want to pattern themselves after them, turn their hat sideways, drop their britches down, act stupid like a knucklehead, and then they'll go somewhere and their buddy will badmouth their mom and then they'll come home and want to badmouth their mom because they've seen their buddies do it. Try it. <laughs> Amen. Listen, I'll I tell you what. He, he wants to find himself in a bad way, man. Just let me find him barking at his mom. That's my wife. It's not just his mom. And I ain't going to come home and have some teenage punk. And I'm not saying he's a punk, but if he does that, he is a punk. Come home and want to be giving my wife down the road. I'm fixing to give him down the road. 
Hey man, it's my wife. You don't talk to my wife that way. I don't care who you are. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I, I, and I ain't going to put up with that. She ain't going to come because she's 18 years old, begin to start talking to her mom the wrong way. Ain't happening. Where, who do you, where, do you, where do you think you came from? You think you can disrespect my wife? You understand? Let alone your mom. I mean, we don't put up with that kind of stuff. And so, but what happens is, is kids will get around other kids that do that kind of stuff, and then all of a sudden they feel that they got the liberty to try it out on their own parent. That's wrong. You understand? Where do we get that? We get that from viewing and watching actions of other people's lives. So therefore, everything that we say, everything that we do affects people. And i got to be mindful of my actions, my attitudes, how I conduct myself, because people are watching. Right? I'm supposed to be a Christian, and I'm supposed to be an example. Christ is our example, 1 Peter chapter number 2. Right? He's our example. And we should follow in his steps. Right? But the sad part is we follow in the steps of Hollywood. We act like them. They do stupid stuff. We do stupid stuff. Right? Amen. That's the sad part. Uh, there, was, there was years ago, somebody had a commercial out there going cha-ching, cha-ching. I think it was a Riley's commercial or something like that. And all of a sudden in church, everybody's walking around church going cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Where'd that come from? That's some stupid Hollywood commercial. And all these Christians, they were going cha-ching, cha-ching. Well, amen, that's a bunch of junk. Amen, why do we want to follow Hollywood fads? They, they make idiots out of us. And then we follow all them. Why don't we do Christian things? Why don't we say amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory. Why don't we use Christian terminology? Why don't we got to use some worldly slang or terminology and talk like the world? Right. You understand? It's infectious. Would to God that Christianity become infectious? Right? Amen. Listen, we got to give an account to God. You want to go around going cha-ching, cha-ching with your hat turned around sideways? Go ahead. You got to give an account to God for that stuff, not me. Amen. I want to be a Christian gentleman. I want to conduct myself so. Yeah. Luke 17, verse 24. For as lightning that lighteth out of one part of, under heaven and shineth on the other part of heaven, so also, or so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of his own generation. Father, we love you. I ask you to bless this sermon now in Jesus' name. Amen. We, we covered verses on the crucified life. Amen. Paul died daily. Right? In 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul said, I died daily. The Bible said, for the old man is crucified with Christ. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul believed in living the crucified life daily. Amen. Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. Amen. It's a very important verse for us, something you must understand. So part of the crucified life we realized earlier the other day was to suffer many things. Number two was to be rejected of your own generation. Number three was to be brought to naught. Number four, we covered the other night about being in Gethsemane. He was in an agony. And how you'll be in that place sometimes where you'll be in an agony and all you can do is separate yourself onto God and wrestle with Him in prayer. Because nobody's going to understand you. Nobody's going to understand where you're at. You're going to try to reach out to others and they won't reach out to you. The Bible says He was rejected 
Amen. By, or is forsaken by his friends and his family and even by God. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? There's time in your life you'll be forsaken by everybody, even the brethren. Amen. And there ain't nothing I can do for you when you go into Calvary. Preacher, help me. I can't do it. You got, you got to go. You got to get crucified. Amen. Romans 8, 28, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. You've got to understand that everything that happens in your life, God has allowed it to transpire to bring about God's will for you. I don't know how to peel your onion and peel it back a layer at a time to get to the things that mean the most in your life. But there's things that mean a whole lot in your life may not mean a hill of beans to me, but God knows how to get to the core of your heart. And if you've got idols set up in your heart, God knows how to get to that thing and destroy your idols. He wants your full heart, complete, 100%, love and devotion. And if he don't have it, he knows what does. Amen. And he'll destroy in your life what you love. Listen, at one time in my life, I loved bowling. And I wanted to be a pro bowler. And I did everything I could to become a pro. Amen. And I worked and I worked and I worked. I was, I was bowling over 100 games a week trying to get prepared to become what I believed was a pro. Enter tournaments. Finished second in the tournament. I was tournament leader by 60 pins before I got up to bowl the final game and I choked. I threw the first ball in the gutter. Amen. And I lost. And then I went down and I entered into the Superstars. It was an association that I was bowling in. And out of 2,700 people, I finished sixth. I missed the top five by six pins. Fourth by eight. Third by 12. Second by 16. I was doing my best to try to get there to win. I won $1,750 in that tournament. The tournament I was team uh, leader in, I won $750. Bucks. First prize was $1,500. And I would give everything I had. And I was out of church trying to bowl on Sundays. Ain't that something? A Christian skipping church and bowling, trying to serve flesh and live for myself. And God began to curse that game. I remember stepping up at Petal, Mississippi. And I went down there to bowl, and I bowled an 814 average, amen, or 214 average for uh, uh, four games. I said I ought to be able to walk away with this tournament. And that's what I thought. And I got up there and I bowled. I entered the tournament. And I shot 150, 170, 150, 170. The best bowler in that place was Daryl Cooper. And I was bowling with his daddy, David Cooper. And I believe David Cooper might have been a professing Christian. And uh, I got up there and I bowled and I threw probably one of the most beautiful, powerful balls I, I ever threw. And when that ball hit the pocket, poof, them pins exploded. Poof, there stood the seven pin, there stood the nine pin. A beautiful pocket split. When you leave the nine pin, that means your ball's driving so hard coming through there that it slides by the nine. It means you overdrove the pocket. My ball didn't break down. The ball's supposed to hit the one, three, five, nine. That's what the ball's supposed to take out. And my ball drove past that pin. And it drove it so hard and hit so hard that it actually drove the four pin. Instead of into the seven, it drove it straight back and missed the seven. It's almost a beautiful looking strike coming in there. And you go, seven, nine. Then the next one you bowl. Amen. Try to just tweak it just a little bit. Throw it in there and you fire that thing in and it looks like a strike and there's 810. You say, what's happening? See, then the ball, the ball is supposed to drive, the, it, what it did is it drove the five pin straight back instead of five pin taking out the eight pin. You with me? And it came in there and drove in. I mean, it's a beautiful ball. You're just off a fraction of a hair, but when you watch that thing, it's coming in there. 
I put all the balls in the pocket. I kept throwing pocket split after pocket split after pocket split. David Cooper looks at me and he said, boy, if I didn't know any better, he said, I say, there's somebody against you. He observed that game. He knew that there was a spiritual force that was beating me that day. And he said, son, somebody's against you because the way you're rolling that ball and the way you're putting it in that pocket, there's a divine influence going on right here, son. He was. And when I left that bowling alley that day, I was heading down. Out of that bowling alley, I was going, I got in the truck and I said, Lord, you don't want me to be a pro, do you? And man, I broke and I began to weep uncontrollably driving my truck home. I got home and my mom goes, what's the matter with you? I said, nothing. She goes, something wrong with you. And I walked out of the back porch and I sat on a swing in the back porch there on the porch swing and I was sitting there and she said, son, something bothering you. And she sat down and she said, would you tell me what it is? And I began to start sobbing and bawl my eyes out. And I said, God told me you don't want me to bowl, be a pro bowler. And she goes, she looked at me, she's hugging me. She goes, you really mean that, don't you? I said, I'm telling you, he told me to give up being a pro. And that broke my heart. A few months later, I wound up going to the bowling or going to church, got right with God. When I got right with God, Brother Herschel in January 1985 got up and preached. He said, he said, Moses came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, I want you to get rid of all these frogs. He said, when do you want me to get rid of them? He said, tomorrow. When he said tomorrow, Brother Herschel preached. He said, there's a bunch of you. God wants to use you, but you got things in your life and you need to lay it down and give it up because it's keeping you from being used of God. And God spoke to me and said, Son, your bowling's in between me and you. I was being sponsored three nights a week to bowl. That night, I gave it up. Went home, called those guys that sponsored me and paid my way. And I said, I got to quit. Two weeks later, God called me to preach. Bowling was an idol in my heart, and it had my love and my affection. And I walked into the bowling alley afterward with a friend of mine named Gary and Rodney, and I walked in there, and the guy that run the place was named Burkett Ross. And Burkett Ross said, boy, I come here. And I come walking over there, and I said, yes, sir. He said, you show me in the Bible where bowling's a sin. I said, Burkett, it's not a sin. I said, but God told me to quit. He said, I thought out of all the people who had what it takes to make it, you had it. And I said, oh, now you tell me. After God done took it all away from me, I was longing to hear somebody step up behind me and tell me I had what it takes. And he goes, out of all the people that were here, I thought you had what it takes to make it. And I said, well, Burkett, God called me to preach. And 30, 30 years later, I'm still here preaching. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with bowling. I'm taking my kids bowling a time or two. God's not against me going up there to bowl with my kids. But I'm telling you, uh, a man came in my church after I gave all that stuff up and he said, Somebody got injured. They got hurt. Would you fill out the rest of the season for us? And God said, okay, you can fill it out. And I went up there, and I'm telling you, when I stepped up on the lanes and I bowled, whatever drew me there, whatever love or affection, I mean, it was dead. It was gone. And I got up there, and I go, what did I ever see in this? What? It just, it don't mean nothing. It's gone. You understand? It died. God dealt with me, my heart. There was something that I loved, and he took it out of there. We went to a guy's house in, 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 uh, in, in Louisiana. We met him in Texas, and we went over there, and I preached. And I preached about what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. And I uh, went over there, and I was preaching that message about giving up. I said, I don't know, maybe, maybe God wants you to give up a new truck or something like that. Had no idea. 
Here God was dealing with that guy about buying a brand new truck. He went out and brought a brand new dually for no purpose. And God was already dealing with him. And the whole church knew what was going on. I had no idea what was going on. And God was dealing with that guy about why he bought that truck. I had no idea. So we go to his house and we're sitting there at his house. And this guy was a hunter. And I mean, he had deer head. I mean, unbelievable. It looked like this guy hunted a thousand deer. I mean, every place in his house, on his porch, everything, deer heads, deer arms, deer hoofs, I mean, guns. I mean, this guy was a hunting machine. And uh, he began to talk to me and I began to talk to him. And he said, God told him there was an idol in his life and he needed to get rid of it. And he said, God, what is this? What is it? And he had a place where he could go out in his yard and there's a little bridge there. And he went out and he said he was sitting out there and he said, God, would you show me what the problem is in my life? Because something's wrong. And he said a little cloud came over his head, spiritually speaking, and a certain gun showed up over his head. And he says, you love your guns more than you love me. And he had to get rid of that gun. See, it all leads to this because every one of us can make an idol of something. I had bowling. He had guns. You understand? God can, allow, listen, people get out of their job, their children, their wife, their marriage, amen, their career, their dreams. Listen, something can come up and get, gain ascendancy to our heart to where it robs the affections and love that's 100% solely reserved for God. And we got to crucify that thing. We got to give that up. We got to spiritually kill it. You know what Abraham had to do? He said, Take thy son, thine only son, and take him up to Mount Moriah, and there kill your son and offer him up for a burnt sacrifice. You know what Abraham did? He said, Okay, I'll do it. And he went and he grabbed Isaac and laid the wood on Isaac and led him up a hill. And he told the men, He said, You stay here, those servants, while I, the lad and I go yonder and worship, and we'll come again to you. He believed he was coming back with them. But yet he was going up to kill him. And he went up there and he built the altar and he laid the wood on the altar, bound his son hand and foot, laid him there, took a knife, raised it up to kill his son. And Abraham, an angel stayed his hand. He said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, by this I know that thou lovest thy son. And he was going to kill him. And he turned around and he looked and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And God provided a ram. And he said, Jehovah Jireh. That means God provided Abraham had to kill his promise. Take the thing, the very thing that God promised to him and kill it and get rid of it because his son wound up coming more important between him and God than God was. And God wanted to know that nothing came in his heart that would come between him and God, that he would love nothing more on this earth than God. And God don't want anything to come between me and you. You know what we got to do? We got to be willing to lay it down no matter what it is. It may be right to me. I may have perfect liberty to do it, but God says, you can't do it. And you need to sacrifice it. And you need to sell it. Or you need to quit it. And nobody else in the church may understand that. And people may laugh at you and say that's stupid. But listen, we don't know what gains the affection and ascendancy of your heart to where you're placing your affection on. But God does. And God will come by and touch that thing. <laughs> you understand? Some men, it could be their health. Some men, it could be their body. God told me to quit lifting weights. You say, why? Because I was working out. At that point, I was working out. I was building a big body standing in front of a mirror all the time looking at myself. Yeah, I thought I was pretty tough. Especially when I would form muscles in the gym and turn around and men were going, man, look at that bicep. You know, they're bragging on me, you know. Hello? And God said, hey, you need to change the way you're dressing. Quit wearing tank tops. Quit wearing sleeveless shirts. Quit wearing shirts cut off up to here. Cover your body. 
God told me to quit it. I told Brother Herschel, I said, God told me to quit going to the gym. He said, I've been praying about that. Amen. Why? Because I was putting all the emphasis on the flesh. You understand what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong working out. There's nothing wrong getting strong. The problem is, is when you work out and what you're doing with it. I was turning my body into an idol. I was putting so much in on the flesh and not much in on the spirit. I was more concerned about how much I could curl than I was how many verses I could quote. You know what God said? Quit it. I quit it. Listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to lift weights. I'm not saying it's wrong to bowl. I'm not saying it's wrong to pitch horseshoes. But horseshoes comes in between me and God. It's in trouble. I'm not against golf. Listen, one time I quit golf, and Brother, Brother Eastep came up to me, and he goes, he said, hey, Brother Parsh, you like to play golf? I said, no. I said, uh, I quit again. He goes, and he put his finger in my face. He said, maybe God just wants you to learn how to control it. You don't have to quit everything. And I go, well, that's pretty good. You know what I was? I was a young man. It was all or nothing. <laughs> and if I got in something, I mean, it was, it, was, it was full bore. I was in it, hook, line, and sinker. But you know what you have to do? Sometimes you've got to learn to control that thing. And that's, that's called discipline. You know what? Discipline, amen? But you've got to make sure you keep the main thing, the main thing. And everything's out there to try to rob you from loving God, loving your Bible, reading your Bible, praying. Amen? amen. Listen, God wants first place in everything. And so, things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to His purpose. God's got a purpose for each and every one of you, regardless if you think you're useful or not. Regardless if you think that you can do it. Listen, when I sit back and look at my resume and what would qualify me to preach, I had one thing. <laughs> I was despised. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says over there. I was not I was nothing. But he chose me to bring to naught the things that are. You understand what I'm saying? I had reasons, and I would argue with God like Moses did in First Corinthians or Exodus chapter number three and four. Moses argued, I can't speak. You read Acts seven, tells you he was well versed. <laughs> Amen. In the words of Egypt. <laughs> Moses was making excuses. People make excuses all the time. God wants to take away all our excuses why we can't serve Him. You know what the Holy Ghost told me the night I surrendered to preach? February 3rd, 1985. I said, God, I can't do it. He said, you're right, you can't. I go, what do you mean I can't? <laughs> Hello? And he said, but I can do it through you. And I said, if you'll do it through me, I'll do it. Well, that's the only condition I surrendered, if He would do it through me. You understand? Listen, God wants to use us, not upon our resume, but upon Him doing something through us. But He's got to get the clay in the position to form what He wants formed. And He's the potter of the clay. And if the clay's marred, He'll mar it. Amen. He'll break it down. He'll work it over again to create the vessel that He wants. Amen. Sometimes it's get rocks, gravel, straw, whatever in the clay, and he don't like it, and he'll mar the vessel in his hands and break it down and remake it. That's the part that we don't like. God begins to shape us in a certain way. We say, oh, I like this. This looks good. Boy, I'll really be used by you. Too much pride in there. Breaks it down. Remolds that thing. Man, who'd use that? Yeah, there we go. Maybe we're making it. You understand? Makes a vessel that he wants for his use. Who are we? The clay to tell the potter what to do. But that's what we do. And God wants it to come to us and use any circumstance in our life. Trouble, education, 
Prosperity? I don't know. We can look at somebody and say, who's he to get that stinking job? Maybe God wants him up there. Maybe God set him up for a big fall. Maybe God's putting some influence in him that he can go influence somebody else. That's maybe just a little bit more upper crust than I am. Why would God promote Nick? Look at me. God said, maybe i got a use for Nick. Maybe Nick's got something in his life that I can do with him that I can't do with you, you knucklehead. You say, God talks to you like that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> God's got a sense of humor, right? Listen, God knows how to put people in the proper places and the proper channels. Amen. So we know all things work together for good. Promotions work together. Failures work. Amen. Being fired from a job works. Right? Accidents work. Health works. Sickness works. Right? Athleticism. Listen, sometimes maybe God wants you to be an athlete, to go witness to athletes. I don't know. He allowed Tim Tebow to go. Look what God done with Tim Tebow. I don't recommend being a football player playing on Sunday, but God allowed him to be in the NFL and brag about Jesus. I, who am I? Maybe he can lift weights. Maybe he can do that. Maybe he can have triceps that big around. I don't know, but I can't. Right? Maybe he's going to let somebody go to Ohio State University. I mean, look at Dr. Ben Carson. I think he, if he's trusting seven-day Adventism, he ain't saved. If he's trusting Jesus Christ, he's a Christian. Amen. He stood up the other day and said he's a Christian. Well, if he's admitting he's a Christian and he's trusting the shed blood of Jesus Christ, amen. But if he's trusting keeping the Ten Commandments and Christ, he's probably lost. You understand? Listen, if people can get saved and fall into wrong religions and not know any better, hello, but he's an influential person that went through a hard time in his life, supposedly got saved, got his life turned around, become a brain surgeon. And here he's running for president and he holds up a sign, I am a Christian. It's for all the news media to fill him full of arrows and shoot at him. I don't recommend that path. But if that's where God wants him, hallelujah. Listen, I got enough material probably to prove that Ronald Reagan wasn't saved, and I got enough material sent to me to prove Ronald Reagan was saved. How do you know? I don't know. But he gets all involved in all that Masonic stuff, doing these Masonic handshakes with Gorbachev and all these other people and the things that he's involved in makes you scratch your head. I've heard enough evidence that George Washington was a lost Masonic man, but then I heard then again he's saved. I don't know. They got quotes going both sides. You hear Ben Franklin, somebody think he's saved. You hear Ben Franklin out of his own mouth, he tells you he's lost. But he quotes about the importance of Bible and the importance of reading and, and things about Christ. But he had an audience with a man of the day, George Whitfield. And he witnessed to him. They were dear friends. And he said, George Whitfield couldn't say Mesopotamia without bringing tears to you. He was under the influence of old-time preaching. He heard old-time preaching. He heard George Whitfield over a mile away, plain as day. He heard the gospel. If Ben Franklin's in hell tonight, it's because he willfully chose to disagree with it. Thomas Jefferson heard the gospel. A lot of people said he was a deist. I heard a video the other day that said seven years before he got, uh, died, he wound up trusting Jesus Christ as a Savior. Hallelujah. I hope that's real. God had men in, in positions to help form our country that had the gospel and knew Jesus Christ. Thank God for it. But God doesn't want me to be a politician. He wants me to be a preacher. I don't know what avenue that you're going to walk in life, but I know one thing. God uses everything in our life of a believer for his glory and for his honor. Why? Well, let me get you to the next verse. 
Verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. God is conforming you to the image of his Son. I don't know what junk you got in your life that's got to get worked out. I don't know what's in your heart that's got to get flushed out. I don't know what's in your character that's got to be changed. I don't know. Jacob had to wind up uh, going and wrestling with God and halt on his th uh, 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 staff the rest of his life because he, God touched the hollow of his thigh and he had to walk. After he met God, he walked different the rest of his life. God, I can wrestle with God all night in prayer and he may never touch my thigh. But I know one thing, if God wants to touch you and put you on a cane, amen, then he might do it. I know a man that was lost, amen, he broke his pelvis and he walks with two canes like this. And you'd almost pity him watching him walk, but that's what it took to get him saved. You understand? God had to cripple a fellow to get his attention. Listen, I don't know. God goes to some great lengths and extremes. We know of a guy that got hit by an 18-wheeler and all nine tires on the one side of the truck hit him. Amen. And he wound up being wadded up and a little ball that a semi hit him and a lady went by and seen a hand she thought was sticking out of a black trash bag. And they came by, found him, put him in the hospital. Every bone in his body was crushed. And they put him on low voltage electricity for three years in the hospital. And he's laying there. How come he didn't die? I don't know. And the man said he was so bitter, he's so mad, he hated God. He's laying there with a busted body under, under low, uh, uh, low voltage electricity and he's healing and he's hurting and, he, and he, he's upset and mad at God over that. But he wound up getting converted and getting saved. How in the world could a semi running you over? <laughs> but that's what God used. Broke his body, got him in a place where he could become a great witness for Jesus and use his story for Christ. I don't understand that. I don't want God to have to use a semi to get my attention. Amen. I'd rather hold time preaching get a hold of me. I'd rather be on my face before God and say, God, get a hold of me. Talk to me. I'll surrender. Whatever. And you know what? Each and every one of your lives are different. Each one of your stories are different. Your walk's different with God. But somewhere God wants you to come to the end of you. And I don't know how to make that. I don't know how to get you across there. But all I know is if you're a child of God, God wants to see a son in your life and God will take you to a place and cause you to go through some things you may not understand, you may not like, I may not understand, I may not be able to figure it out, but God's got a purpose for your life. Yeah. I don't like it. But I know one thing, I like the results. <laughs> I like it. If God's happy to see a son in my life, that's what I want. But I might not like the process. Who said I had to like the process? Amen. I read leadership books and they talk about all these people got destination disease. He says we all think that somewhere success is some uh, destiny out there and I, I got to get to that specific geographical place. He said the success is the journey. Yep. It's the process that we're going through. He said don't overlook the process. Listen, there, I went through the Bible Institute. All I could see was the goal out there, graduate, get the diploma, get to the end of this thing. God said, it's the material you're learning, son. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You're going through this thing. It's the material. Learn the material. Yeah. Don't look for the certificate. Just because you got a certificate, that's not going to open up doors. It's the material that you're learning will open the door. For whom he did foreknow, he did also press, did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his dear son. Galatians chapter number 1. Uh, listen, that's, that's what God wants. I know every morning you wake up and you brush your teeth and you look in the mirror and you smile at yourself and you look at the boogers in your nose and you look at the wax in your ears and all that stuff, right? Yeah. 
Huh? And then you're picking the, you know, men are clipping the nose hairs in their nose and all that stuff in the ears. And listen, as we're looking at that thing and you women are fluffing up your little eyebrows and painting them, you know, and mascaring them, you know, and, and uh, pooching your little lips out. What are you looking at? Who are you kissing in that man? Right? Hello? Listen, but you don't see Christ in there. God wants to reveal Christ in our life. It's not the flesh. Look at what he says, verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, verse 16, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Listen, God wants Christ to be revealed in us. You got placed in life where he wanted you placed. And if he doesn't like the place you're at, he'll change your geographical location. He'll send you to where he wants you to be an influence. And think about this. It's no mistake you get a flat tire today and you're sitting in a truck with a tow truck driver and you got 20 minutes sitting with a guy you'll never see again the rest of your life and you're, you're a born-again Christian. How many tracks you got on you? Guess what? When you ain't got no tracks, you bummer, I can't witness to him. No, you can talk to him. Tell him about Jesus. You understand? I mean, there's an opportunity afforded you. You're alone with somebody. My shoulders, my throat, the surgeries I had afforded me an opportunity to witness to doctors and nurses. I went in and seen a neurologist, a guy. I mean, he's probably one of the smartest men I've ever seen in my life. And I wound up giving him one of them tracks that's uh, four things God wants you to know or something like that. And uh, gave it to him and he looked at it. And uh, he took it. I witnessed to several different doctors. Listen, God opens doors for us to go to places. It's no mistake we're with those people. God, listen, if we don't reach them, who will? You understand? I mean, God brings us across a broken down car. Amen. Listen, anything. A toilet. You got to have a plumber in to fix it. TV repair man. Amen. Antenna guy. <laughs> Somebody comes by, knocks on your door. You should have a stack of tracks ready right there. Amen. Little kids come up. Hey, would you like to buy some chocolate? No, I don't want none. And you send them away. What? Did you give them a gospel? You give them a gospel track? At least, can you do that? People knock on my door. I say, oh, all right, here's somebody needs Jesus. Amen. <laughs> right? That's what they're there for. God sent them to my house for a reason. Hello? All them little beggars coming up at the end of the month? Right? All them people on welfare carrying around pillow sacks that are adults want candy too? Hello? Taking advantage of kids tonight? Guess what? They get Jesus too. We make baggies up. We put gospel tracts in them. Amen. We have given out DVDs and we fill them full of candy and we give them a nice little bag full. And we zip that thing up. You say, why? Because I don't want them just to see the DVD and all that and not understand. I want them to go, that, tr that house that passed out them baggies full of candy, they gave us this. Amen. Give them chick tracks. Try to give them some good gospel literature for them to have to plant a seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their life. Just trying to reach somebody. Taking advantage of the situation. Listen, God's got me and you put where he wants us. Right? We've got you you guys in Huber Heights, got us over in Dayton. Listen, we travel, we go. I pray about what restaurants to go to, what gas pumps to go to. Amen. God, I want God to put me in the right place. We were down in uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi, and a preacher said, let me take you out to eat. Takes us to Louisville, Mississippi. We go to Louisville, Mississippi, and we go in there to eat Chinese food. He wants to buy us Chinese food. Praise God. I didn't reject the meal. We wind up leaving a little princess, Chick Trek, on that table. When we came back to Charity Baptist Church on the way home, Brother Gresham stood up there and he goes, Hey, we got a 
Little Princess Chick Track back from our church from Louisville, Mississippi. Such and such lady got saved. Just wanted to send it to church. Let us know she got saved. Boy, you talk about a thrill. Listen, we left a gospel track for a waitress at a restaurant. She mailed it back by the time we even got home. Amen. Said she wound up trusting Jesus Christ. It was not in vain for that preacher to take us out to eat. The only way I got to that restaurant was because he took me out to eat there. I would have never went to Louisville, Mississippi. Had no plans on going to Louisville, Mississippi. But while I was there at Louisville, Mississippi, amen, I wound up believing the gospel there and somebody picked that book up and somebody read it. Listen, every step we take as a Christian is not an accident. Amen. It's an assignment. And we're supposed to go. And God is crucifying me. God allows us to go through everything. Through the fire, through the furnace, through crucified life, carrying the cross, all the problems, all the trials, all the struggles, all the cussings, all the blessings, everything that comes in our life is designed by God for you and me. Mishaps, misfortunes, accidents, struggles, sickness. What did he say over there in Luke 18? He said, this sickness ain't because of sin, but it's for the glory of God. God allows some sicknesses to enter into people's lives all for the glory of God. <laughs> Look at the verse 24. And they glorified God where? In me. Hey Amen. Isn't that a blessing? That's what I'd like to have. Somebody, to, listen, I can't put an estimate upon what it means when somebody says, Brother Parks, I thank God for your ministry and for you and for your family and what you said, the words that you said. I talked to Brother Parks, Brother Doug Parks over there. Years ago, he was struggling with eternal security and whether he was truly saved or not. And he was bad on that thing. And I wound up going over there with Brother Estep to Open Door Baptist Church and Brother Parks was there, a young person in the Lord. And uh, he was struggling with eternal security and he came up and he says, I made this comment to him about the blood of Jesus Christ. And I said, what more do you want God to do? Isn't his blood enough? And he said, that thing hit him. And he began to realize that he was expecting more from God than what was already provided for him. And he wound up resting in the finished work of Christ and trusting his blood. And he said, Brother, God used you to help secure something in my life. And he's had a great appreciation for me ever since then because I, I made that statement. Isn't the blood of Christ enough? You understand? We don't know what we say sometimes, how it's going to change somebody's life. But that settled something in his heart and his life. I thank God for that. Praise God. Listen, we always need to be prepared and we need to be crucified to what we want and be open to what God wants that others may be able to glorify God in us. I'm not trying to glorify myself. I'm just trying to place myself in a position to be used by God. And how that thing works out at Calvary or at the end time at the judgment, I have no idea. But all I've done is I keep dying to myself and keep dying to myself and keep dying to myself that he might live and others may come to Christ because of it. Right? So, with all that said, amen, uh, the crucified life, being crucified, you're going to have to carry a cross. Do you like that? You know what that cross means? You're going to die. You know what you got to do? you got to die to yourself. You can live for yourself. You can live after the flesh. They that live after the flesh shall die. die. You can die. You can serve the flesh. You can serve yourself. God will let you. 
but you might not have much of a future. Look at what it says. Uh, we've seen that he went to Gethsemane. We've seen that he was forsaken by friends. We see that he was lied about. Matthew chapter 26. You know what people are going to do? They're going to lie about you. You know what they did about Jesus Christ at Calvary? They lied about him. Verse 58, but Peter followed afar off. Amen. There's a bunch of Christians that will just follow afar off. They just want to, they want to be spectators in, instead of be participants. I don't, want to, I don't want to be a spectator in Christianity. I want to be a participant. Amen. Peter followed him afar off unto uh, the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see what? The end. See, he became a spectator. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus, put him to death, but found none. Though many false witnesses came, yet found none. And at last came two false witnesses. You know what? People's going to lie about you. Listen, I had people tell people that I, I was a father of people's children in the church. I'm just trying to tell you, people lie about you. Amen. Listen, they'll make up all kinds of excuses. And uh, the one lady, a preacher friend of mine's uh, uh, mother, which was my best friend's grandmother, uh, his brother lied about that, said I was the father of his child. And when Elizabeth was born, you looked at Elizabeth and Gary's pictures are exactly like she looks just like Gary. And they're turning around telling me that I'm the father of this baby. And his grandmother blistered those people that were lying. She stood up for me. She said, you shut your mouth about that preacher. <laughs> she was, she was going to go take him to task. You understand? But people lie about you. And the man that lied eventually got saved. Amen. Praise God. Hello? And her daughter lied, which was Gary's mother. I'm telling you, listen, people lie about you. You got to be careful. People get jealous. People get upset. I don't understand why people lie, but they say all kinds of vicious things trying to destroy you and your ministry. You know what they do? They're going to lie. People lie all the time. People say, I said things I never said. That's why it's so important for us to videotape and record. Listen, when I pastored in Louisiana, the Holy Ghost, we had a great service, great singing, and I, I felt nudged of God to tape record the service. But I said, Lord, it's going to take me too long to run to the office, get it, come back, and all that. I didn't do it. I wish I would have listened to God and had it recorded because I was accused of saying things in the service I didn't say. You understand? And people were defending me saying he never said that, and they were saying I said it, and they come in a big old stink of me saying things I didn't say. I never said, you chew Levi Garrett, you're going to hell. Never would. I wouldn't say if you smoke cigarettes, you're going to hell. It may make you smell like you go there, but I wouldn't say that you smoking to send you to hell. I never said that. Never would say that. It may hurt your testimony. But people will lie and take what you say and twist it. I preached over charity, and I got up and preached, and a man was under conviction. He was, he was white-knuckling it, man. He was squeezing the back of the chair. He, he was under conviction. He leaves. He goes out, and he starts running me down and accusing me of saying something. And Vane Bush stands up uh, out there and he goes, Bud, I sat and heard the same message you heard and what you heard, said you heard, it didn't come out of that preacher's mouth. Vane Bush, a preacher friend of mine, stood up for me because people were out there lying in the parking lot. People will lie and misrepresent what you say and twist it. you got to accept that's part of the Christian life. I don't try to defend myself. I, I say what i got to say. i got to give an account to God over it. Amen. The way I say it offends somebody, I'm sorry. The truth then they got to deal with the truth. You understand? Amen. 
So people's going to lie about you. Amen. You know what else will happen to you? You'll be put in a no-win situation. There's no possible way you're going to win. Why? Because you've got to die. You've got to be crucified. You're going to be slain. You must come to the end of yourself. And the cru crucified life is going to bring you to where you're put in a no-win situation. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. He's put in a situation. He's no win. There's no way he can win. He's got to die. He's got to die for the sins of the world. Though he's being lied about, though he's being set up, though he did no sin, but yet he's dying for the sins of everybody else. It was ordained by God and he must fall through with this. But he's not dying for his sins. He's not guilty of anything but loving us. You understand? And God, you may not be guilty of anything, but God, have you set up? Have you railroaded? Have you lied about? Have you lose your job, your home, your family? I don't know what God may take away from you. And it'll be all unjust. But the ticket is how you respond to the injustice done to you. Jesus did not lie. He did not cheat. He did not steal. He did not condemn. He took it. And Pilate marveled that he opened not his mouth, but he took the injustice. It's part of the crucified life. And I don't know how it's going to happen in each and every one of you guys' individual lives, but it's going to happen. Because God wants to bring you to the end of you, that it's not your will, but his. God must bring you to a place where your will breaks and you yield to the will of God. What people are looking for is God to do what they want to do. Listen, I tried to tell God, God, if you let me be that pro bowler, I promise I'll hold Bible studies in every town. I'll go and, and I'll witness to all them people. And as people gather around, I'll tell them about Jesus. And God says, this ain't my, that ain't my way. I was trying to get God to allow me to serve him my way. God said, no, that, that ain't the way it works. You don't do it your way. God don't look at your strengths and say, I want to use it. He'll use your weaknesses. <laughs> Listen, it's totally backwards what we think it is. But you'll be put in a no-win situation. There ain't nothing you can do. Amen, since I've been saved. Amen, since I've been called to preach, since I've been in Bible school. God puts me in situations, there's no way to win. Amen. I stood in a meeting with 13 of my brethren and my boss ripped me and cut me and tore me to pieces for no reason. In front of my brethren. I had to stand up and admit because somebody told me something. I had to confess, amen, in front of the whole church and take the wrath. Me and my friend had to take it. It something that we weren't even guilty of. We had to take the wrong. There's times you'll have to take the wrong in your Christian life and you're just going to have to take it and you're going to have to do like Job. You're going to have to eschew it and spit it out and say, Lord, it's injustice. It's wrong. And Lord, I'll receive it for your glory and for your honor. That's tough. That is tough to be able to take the wrong and not hold it against the one that's doing the injustice to you. Jesus Christ does not hold a grudge against me for having to die in my place. You talk about tough. You talk about being crucified. You talk about <laughs> putting that tongue on the cross. <laughs> nail it there. Lord, 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 nail that tongue down. <laughs> huh? And not speak out about it. And just take the injustice. And not have a bitter heart against them. 
Yeah, I'm dying, but you let me get off this thing, I'll fix your wagon, pal. And Jesus never had that attitude, never had that spirit. And when you get crucified, God's taking your heart and crucifying. He's crucifying your tongue. He's crucifying your ears. He's crucifying your eyes. He's crucifying your hands. He's crucifying your feet. You're dying to yourself. Amen. Vengeance is the Lord. Amen. Vengeance is mine, say the Lord. Let him take care of it. All the injustices that ever come in your life, let God take care of the injustice. If we go around trying to defend ourselves, we're in trouble. Let God take care of it. The sign of somebody has been crucified is it's yielded to God in every situation and circumstance of their life is God's will and they yield to God's will and they'll let all the indifferences in their life go to God and say, you just take care of it, Lord. That's tough. That's tough. That's tough. Amen. Luke 23. Luke 23. Verse 25. And it released unto them him that for and for murder was cast into prison, whom they desired, and they delivered Jesus to their will. God may give you over to the will of his enemies. And allow his enemies to have their way with you. <laughs> God, listen, there was no deliverance set aside for Jesus. There may be no deliverance set aside for you. That's tough, isn't it? Jesus said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through this. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There's no deliverance. Maybe we got to go through something. Listen. You, you're, you're never going to know what it's all about until your will goes against God's will and you yield to it and you allow God's will just to destroy you and crucify you. There's no salvation. Don't save yourself. The Bible said he saved others himself. He cannot save. You can't save yourself. Don't try. The problem you get into in a crucified life when God's trying to crucify you is where you try to save yourself. Don't do it. No deliverance. Look at what it says. And they led him away, and they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it what? After Jesus. You know what you got to do? You got to carry your cross. John 19. John 19. Verse 15, And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said unto him, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. Now, one place it said Simon carried his cross, and another place said Jesus bore his cross. Which is it? The Bible says there that Simon bared the cross after him. Amen? So you got Simon carrying the cross. You got Jesus bearing, carrying the cross. Well, who's carrying the cross? Huh? Both? Hey, Nick. Come here.
Maybe Jesus is carrying a cross, right? And he's trying, to, he's trying to carry the cross. Now pick it up, Nick. And now he picks it up, lift it up high. And now I'm carrying the cross. He's carrying the cross. And he's bearing it after me. And this is the heavy part of the cross. And now Jesus may be carrying the whole load of the cross while he's bearing the cross after him. You understand? That may be a possibility. Thank you. You understand? It says they both were bearing the cross. Maybe Jesus was carrying the load. Nowhere does it say Jesus fell beneath the load. Nowhere does it say Jesus uh, stumbled and fell and the cross fell on him and they picked up the cross and set it on Simon and Simon carried it after Jesus. doesn't say that. But I'm do, I am showing you that, listen, Jesus was not absolved of his responsibility of carrying his cross because right here in John 19, he, he carried it. Right? Right? Look at what it says. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place which is called the place of the skull. So listen, Luke chapter number 14. Luke chapter number 14. Luke chapter number 14. Verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and cometh after me cannot be my disciple. You want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? You better bear a cross. You know what you got to do when you bear a cross? You're preparing to die on something. God expects you to die to yourself and this world. Let's look in Luke 14 there real quick. Let's look at the verse above it. Verse 26, If any man come after me, or come to me, and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be what? Verse 27, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, So likewise, whosoever he be that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my you're going to have to deal with your people. You're going to have to deal with your pursuits. And you're going to have to deal with your possessions. The people that you are involved with, you're going to have to deal with them and become crucified. You're going to have to deal with your possessions. That's a, that's a tough thing. You have to deal. God, God's got every Christian has got to deal with those things. Your pursuits, your possessions, and your people. Those are three tough things. And you know what? God's going to have you crucified. And God's going to want everything that gains ascendancy to thy heart to be nailed to the cross and to where you come, to where you come to the end of yourself, your dreams, your plans, your goals, your life, and allow him to nail you to that cross. It's part of the crucified life. People don't want to carry the cross because they don't want to die. People want to live for themselves. And that's, what, that's what's growing so fast in our country. Health and wealth and prosperity gospel. They're telling you you don't have to die to yourself. God wants to bless you and just load up your pickup truck full of toys and goodies and pleasures and you can just enjoy this life and you just have a good time because God's blessed you and you're a king's kid and you have to wind up getting a crown. God wants you to have a cross. He gives you the crown next life. Jesus had to come and have the cross. Then he got the crown in the next life. Amen? All this crowd out here is designed by the devil to try to get you to crown now and to cross later. Don't happen that way. 
And that's why that preaching thrives, because it's appealing to the lust of the flesh. And everybody wants their Cadillacs, their Lincolns, their houses, their gold, their money. Benny Hinn said, I don't want my gold on the other side. I want my gold now. He's getting it now. I'm telling you, God wants you to go to the cross. He wants to crucify this flesh. Amen? Put you in no one situation. You carry your own cross. You wear a crown of thorns. You must bear his approach. Let's look at uh, uh, da, 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 1 Timothy 4.10. I think it is. 1 Timothy 4.10. You must bear his approach. I wish I had time. I ain't got time. Man, time just flies. 1 Timothy 4.10. Amen? It's a great verse to show a Calvinist. Verse 10, Therefore, we both labor and suffer what? Reproach. Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. Amen. What do we do? We suffer reproach. When you take the name of Jesus Christ and you trust Him, you bear reproach. He suffered without the camp, suffering reproach. He said over there in the book of Psalms, Reproach has broken my heart. Listen, we got to bear his reproach. It's a black eye in this world to be a Christian. And Christians today are trying to do everything they can to fit and form into the world that nobody has a suspicion that they're a Christian. Then there's religious cultists over there, like your Acts 238 folks. You ever see an Acts 238 woman? Can't mistake her. She's got that beehive hairdo. They all wear their hairdo the same. Right? I mean, I go in a Mexican restaurant over there. There's a whole group, amen, Jesus' name only groups. Why? Because they think that they got to wear their hair a certain way, and that's their religion. That's their trademark. Amish men got to wear their beards with no mustache because a mustache is worldly. You understand? Right? They all wear, listen, you can tell a religion. But I'm talking about what Christians try to do is try not to look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, act like a Christian because they may get buffeted, persecuted, mocked, ridiculed. So they're trying to blend in and they wear worldly camouflage so they can just fit in with the world's crowd and not receive reproach. Listen, if you're taking Jesus' side, you'll be reproached. Why? Because we trust in the living God who's the Savior of all men. Now, what a verse on deity. Man, you know what chunk of verse we just said right there? You're going to bear reproach. People got to bear reproach. Listen, stand up and take it. Say, I'm a Christian. Dish it out. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't want to blend in with his world. I want to stand up for him. Amen. We must bear his reproach. Next. Hmm. I'll just save that for later. Father, we do love you. Thank you, Lord, for being so good and kind to us. 